When we read the Psalms, we, um, we often hear someone speaking almost, all, almost always in the second person. Hallelujah is a second person thing to say. I, the first person, was saying to you, the second person, praise the Lord. It's an imperative at the other person. Listen, that's second person I'm talking to you, listen up, that kind of thing. A lot of the Psalms are that way because it's the group praising God and they're telling all who hear and they're telling each other and they're telling themselves that they should praise God. <clears throat> Very well-known Psalm to all of us, Psalm 103, is an interesting one because the second person is the same as the first person. When he starts the psalm, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He's talking to himself about how he should be praising God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins or rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are merely dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. And when the wind has passed over it, it's no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord, of Yahweh, is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant, remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you, his angels, mighty in strength to perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you, his hosts, who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you, works of his in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's a great way to draw a circle around everything, something philosophers are always trying to do. And the only real way to do it is to draw an infinite-sized infinite circle because we have to encapsulate the infinite riches and glory of our God whom we serve. Let's take a moment for silent prayer. Uh, as needed, we're told in 1 John 1 and verse 9 that if we believers in Christ confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're told this as believers who the Apostle John says if we walk in the light... We believers walk in the light as God, the Father, himself is in the light. Then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, goes on cleansing us from all sin. I always offer you this time of silent prayer. It's a precious moment, if you need it, to regain fellowship, to re-engage your spiritual life, to say the truth, to tell the truth to God about sin, and thereby receive the cleansing. Don't wallow in your sin. Confess it and move forward. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, we praise you for this psalm in which we're told to, to talk to ourselves. We praise you, uh, and we know we should, and we don't always feel like we should, Father. We're stuck in our own experience. We're stuck in our own limited perspective, our own frame, our own physical carnal set, and we so easily lose sight of the things of eternity which you show us so readily in your word. Father, we turn our attention to your word tonight because we want to know you on your terms. We want to bring honor and glory to you every step of the way. We know you have us in challenging circumstances from time to time because you're bringing forth proven character through adversity. And we know that hope doesn't disappoint, Father. We know that you have a purpose in it. Glorify yourself as we look up to your son today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a special for you tonight, this Thanksgiving Eve. Thanksgiving. Uh, we are... Uh, tomorrow, most of us celebrating our really only national holiday proper, holy day. I mean, there's only one day where in sacred devotion to God, we as a nation said national holy day, said let's set this apart and, and consecrate it as a national uh, time of prayer and f- fasting originally, not feasting, but a time to honor the creator for his bounty. And I know in 1621, they had a, they had a picnic and, um, and we're just praising God through this feast for bringing them through uh, after so many had died and they had finally been able to get a harvest. And so we're, we're grateful. And um, th- th- this is the good part of American history. It's under attack. It's under assault. It's under constant revision by people that don't understand what this country represents or what its values are. But um, we don't represent oppression. That's not what the country is. There has been oppression, but that wasn't the point. The point was that oppressed people said, I don't want to be oppressed anymore. Let's go where there isn't any oppression. And they came here and they braved the Atlantic Ocean in order to uh, set up what they considered to be um, freedom to worship God according to their consciences, according to God's word. And uh, so this is, to me, it's a very special thing. I love a Thanksgiving of all of the, the things that we do as a culture. I really love this because it's really an American original. Um, it goes back to that picnic in 1621 after that first horrible uh, uh, year where they, they, uh, so many again died and they were able to survive and they just thanked God for giving them uh, life and a place to live and help from Massasoit and the um, Wampanoag people and, and all the reasons that they had to thank God. And these were sinful, broken, horrible, nasty people just like me and you. And they needed a savior, and that's why they were moving where they were, because they wanted to focus on their savior, according to the dictates of the word of God and their consciences. And we're heirs. Opening the Bible today in English, we're heirs in this continent to that work, to that, that history, to that commitment, and those that died in order to make it happen. And there are a lot of other people who have died to give us the freedom to do what we're doing tonight. And we're so grateful for this nation. We're grateful for God's providential working in it. I'd like to spend the evening talking to you about something I'm reading lately, rereading David McCullough's 1776, and just the whole discussion of how God providentially um, gave Washington a break in Boston at Dorchester Heights and how they didn't have to attack, they didn't have to assault a city that was under siege. They didn't have to destroy Boston and shell it and probably lose half their army to, to kick the British out of Boston. Little weather, little, little providential miraculous work of, uh, of um, Henry Knox getting the cannons from Fort Ticonderoga, all the things that came into place that, we, that, that, that the, the English left Boston. 
And then it was on to New York and fighting through New York and, and uh, all the things that happened in that, that year. And that's in March, Dorchester Heights, March. That's before July of 1776. That's when they're, they're fighting with the question of whether they're going for independence. They just don't want the army of Great Britain marching on their colonial soil and, and burning their houses and, and, uh, and subduing them uh, as slaves. And uh, they, were, they were fighting in that point not officially declared independence. They were just fighting for their lives and their, and their rights. And they, they hadn't uh, done that yet. But anyway, there's a lot about our history that is salutary. There's a lot about our history that uh, requires repentance. And the, the point in all that is uh, without the cross, without Christ, without the one who's the only righteous one, uh, there's no point to any, there's no, there's no value really to any developments in any cultures because it's all riddled, riddled through with sin. It's all shot through with Satan's world system. He's corrupted every culture. But see the cross. Those people had Christ in their hearts and they were wrong about some things, but they were right about a lot of things. Well, tonight, um, maybe we start an annual thing, I don't know, but on Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving Eve, um, I wanted to share something that I've been working on with my son, Nathan. Nathan, come on, stand on up here. Stand, no, stand here first and stand over here. And I thought that this is going to be hard for y'all to see Nathan uh, because of the height issue. So we put a little help. Go ahead and get on there. You're still there. There we go. Someday, right? Someday that's going to be fantastic. Now, Nathan has told me he is not nervous at all to share with you what we've been working on in the, in the shepherd psalm. I picked Psalm 23 for many reasons. It is. It's short, it's easily memorizable, it is constantly applicable. It is something that you should have memorized and I should have memorized, you should be able to bring to mind whenever we're going through any challenging circumstance or pretty much any time. The attitude that David has toward God as his shepherd in Psalm 23 should be a constant attitude. It should be like this focal thing that we want and when we don't have it, we should repent and get back to it and humble ourselves before our creator. He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. And so uh, Nathan and I have uh, decided we're gonna, we're gonna dialogue a little bit. Will you hand me that back over here? We're gonna, we're gonna talk through some things and he's gonna help me with a little bit of a discussion. And uh, I know it's all very experimental, but um, this is the fruit of what we call right seat time. I've done right seat time with every uh, pastoral intern I've ever worked with. Um, and uh, lots of seminary students and uh, camperette campers that come to visit. We do right seat time. Does everybody know what that means in a military unit when you're changing command? Um, the guy, old guy going out of the unit, the old commander, he sits and he drives. I don't know why they think this, but um, he drives his Humvee in the left seat because we're Americans. And then the new guy sits in the right seat. And the, the boss, the outgoing commander, drives around to all the spots. This is my machine, machine gun position here. You got to watch out for the dead space over there. He takes him to all the places in his command so that he can understand what we do and how we do it. And this is the, this is the structure that you're coming into. And the, the new incoming commander, he's been trained, but he hasn't done this yet. And so he's learning from the outgoing commander. And so that's called right seat time. And so it's funny because as a right-handed writer, that means that a person sitting next to me at the desk is at the, my right hand because I'm right-handed. And so for, you know, for us to work together, it pretty much works that way too. Anyway, 
So right seat time is something that I do and I love, and it's something that I always imagined uh, when I was a kid. What would it be like to sit down with my pastor in his office, in his study, wherever that is, and study the word with him? What would that be like to see how he does it? And uh, my pastor was famous for not doing that. He did not, uh, nobody knows what was going on there in that study, except God, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and uh, so, so I thought, you know, this is a, a fun thing. It's really kind of like tutoring, right? So Nathan and I have spent a lot of time on Psalm 23, and we thought you'd want to hear some of what we've come up with. So Psalm 23, we all know it. The Lord is my shepherd. What's the next line? Shall not want. Want to do that? The Lord is my shepherd. Shall not want. I shall not want. Okay. First lesson on doing what we're doing up here is you have to speak clearly, and everybody knows I'm really big on this, and slowly enough for everyone to understand what you're saying. It's really important. They're laughing at me because they know I talk too fast. (laughs) it's okay to laugh all right (laughs) okay so here's our first slide and just to give you an idea of of what we're working on this is psalm 23 verse 1 in hebrew and so can you read that one okay actually I'll, i'll mouse over it so that folks at home can see what we're talking about mismore okay say it say it again mismore yeah say that one le david le david Yahweh. Yahweh, or Adonai, is a lot of times we'll say for this name. And then this word right here is? Roi. 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 Roi, good. And then we say that word is this word? Lo. Lo. And then this hard to say word is? Echsar. Echsar. We're working on it. We also have, I've got a magnet board, and I've got the Hebrew letter magnets, and Nathan's working on, he can almost put the Hebrew letters in order um, from a jumble. We're not, we're, we're not quite there, but you're working on that, right? But can you sing the song? You don't have to, but can you? Aleph, Bet, and Gimel, Dalit. Okay, I'll let Samuel do it. Okay. So what we did here, as I showed you, the Hebrew's going from right to left, and, and we put... We kind of color-coded the words, and then you can see this is the order if you're going right to left for English uh, from, from Hebrew. By the way, t- the whole night isn't this. I just want you to see what we're doing. So a psalm, Mizmor, of David, Le David, you can kind of see that, Le David, Le David, or if you're, uh, some people say Le David, David, and then um, we translate usually Yahweh as Lord, L-O-R-D, following the Septuagint tradition, the, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew. And then the, the one I wanted to bring out for you is the word shepherd. Maybe you don't know this. The word shepherd is this word right here in Hebrew. It's roeh, roeh, R-O-E-H, would be how you would write it in English. But this has a hierarch yod in it, this I-Y right here. That says mine, this is the, the roe that is mine. This is my shepherd. And so it's got a possessive pronoun on the end. Right here, up here in green. You know, green. Roe. So what's the word for shepherd? Do you know? Roe. Can you say it? Roe. Good. I think that's where you get the name Roy. I think that's probably right. And isn't it interesting that the king in France is le roi, the roi, the, the, the king? Shepherds and kings are the same theme a lot of times in the Bible. Anyway, the Lord is my shepherd, shepherd my roi. Okay, so that's the 
kind to some of the kind of stuff that we do when we're working through things. And I think that if we do just a little bit at a time, he's going to be so far ahead in his Hebrew studies um, way before uh, we know it. But uh, you'd have to stick with it, right? Okay, is that enough Hebrew? That's enough Hebrew for tonight. Let's get into some English. So the first thing you have in Hebrew is the superscription. And what does it say? A Psalm of David. A Psalm of David, okay? And uh, we said that that word mizmor or psalm, do you know of another word you can translate mizmor into English? Do you remember? Do you remember? Remember how we said your your sister has a a Bible name? Oh, yeah. What's another word for a psalm? Uh, Melody. Melody. A melody, right. That's another word for psalm. So a psalm of David is, is old. We don't know how old the superscriptions are. They may be, um, they may be Ezra or maybe soon, maybe earlier. So, um, but all the Hebrew manuscripts have them that we have. Uh, the, so we, we use them. And so verse one, you want to read it? Now, wait, now, wait, now. You got to take a deep breath, and then you want to use your voice to not listen. Don't listen to the speakers. You hit that back wall with your voice. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. All right. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, this is going to be surprising to some of you, but you probably haven't thought through what that means. Nathan, do you know what it means, I shall not want? It means. Put Put your mic up. It means um, I, I won't, I don't need anything. It means I, I don't, don't need anything. That's exactly what it means. When we started and asked that question, do you know what, what one answer was is that I, I won't want anything. I don't have anything that I want, that I, I want in English today. But the word want is an older English word, and the way they used to use it, it meant to lack something. It meant that there's nothing, uh, this, this means that there's nothing what, Nathan? There's nothing that I don't have that I want, that I need or, or lack, right? So what if I don't have it? Then I don't need it. Then I don't need it. And what if I don't, um, what, if, what if the Lord doesn't give it to me? Then I don't need it. And what if, and what if, um, what if, well, that's enough. If I, if the Lord doesn't give it to me, then I probably don't need it. And that's some powerful theology about wanting things and needing things. Have you ever heard somebody's needy? Uh, yeah. A needy person? Yes. A lot of times needy is really wanty. Like I want something. I want this or that. I want this to go different in my life. But actually, if the Lord is my shepherd, then I'm not going to suffer any lack. And that's because God has taken the responsibility of what, Nathan? What, is that, what has he decided to be as my shepherd? What does that mean? My provider. He's my provider. And so my needs are provided by him. That's what it means, that he's my shepherd. There's another thing going on here. We talked about it being a metaphor. Remember that? What's a metaphor? An example of something. Okay, kind of like an example. It's where you're saying, like a person, in this case, you're saying the person is a sheep, like we're a sheep, right? That is not very flattering to me to call myself a sheep. And David, we don't know when David wrote this. He might've been a shepherd. He might've been a king, but he was definitely not a sheep, but he says he's a sheep. There's humility here. Do you know what humility is, Nathan? Do you know what it is? I've told you, but I don't know if you remember. I say a lot of things. Um. Is humility up or down? Is it high or low? High. 
No, humility is low. Because if you humble yourself before God, he raises you up high. Oh. Yeah, it's, it, it ends up high. That's right. All right. So humility is where you tell the truth that God is God and that I'm not. I'm what God made me. And it's not about me. It's about him. And we'll get to that in a minute. It turns out there's a very profound statement of theology about our total significance in Psalm 23. That will change your life if you think about it. We want to picture the sheep in the field and the shepherd, but we don't want to think through sometimes what all it means that he's saying, but I want you to be challenged today and think about it. Now, what, if a shepherd, what does a shepherd need to do for his sheep, Nathan? He needs to take care of them. To take care of them, what do the sheep need? Food and water. Food and water. Let's go to verse 2. What does it say in verse 2? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, why does it say that? Why does it say, he makes me lie down in green pastures? Do you know why? Why does it say, he makes me lie down in green pastures? Yeah, anybody. Yeah, Samuel, why does it say that? Do, are you stretched out in, in a do feel, like in your jacket and tie, doing, doing uh, mist angels or dew angels on, the, on, a, on a field of grass? Is that what this means? Is the picture that I'm just running around in grass? Huh? Okay, I've got to think of myself as a sheep to understand verse 2. What does a sheep want? It wants grass. And so... What is he, when does he want it right now? And so the, it's the greatest thing that the sheep could possibly imagine. Grass, it's what he's made for and it's made for him and he's gonna go eat this green grass because why? Why does the sheep get to have grass? Because the shepherd makes him lie down in the green grass. What else does he do? He gives him water. Yeah, he leads him beside quiet waters. Now, this isn't salt water. What other kinds of water is this not? If it's quiet water, what's it not? Raging water. It's not raging water. It's not a waterfall. Try to drink from the waterfall, little sheep. It's a perfect little brook. And it doesn't mean that it's stagnant water that's just sitting there. It means that it's a calm brook that the little woolly can get a good drink. You just have to imagine the clearest, sweetest possible water you can imagine. And that's the idea in this picture of the shepherd with his sheep. He gets exactly what he needs. And do you know what the summary of that is? Do you know how to summarize? He gives me green grass and, and good water. What's the summary? What's the summary in verse three? He what? He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Goes with verse two. It summarizes that he provides my needs. Now this is really powerful for your life. Now look up here. This is powerful for your life that the Lord is going to restore your soul. Now, does anybody think that he's talking about pizza or turkey or mashed potatoes or human food and drink? Do you think that's what he's talking about? I don't. I, I think he's talking about something that we need that is made for us and it's the best and the highest and the greatest. I think Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 2 when he says, long for the pure milk of the word like a newborn baby. This is the spiritual refreshment that we desperately need and sometimes don't even know to crave. But he will. Have you had this experience, Nathan, where you study the word some and you have that refreshment where you say, oh, I needed that. I feel like I just got my thirst quenched. Have you ever had that? Yes. That's the right answer. Good. That's, that's good. <laughs> and I, I have had this enough in my life to know, and I can testify to you, that this is what you want to be going for every day of your life. 
There is refreshment and fulfillment in God's word to restore your soul every day. Every day. Do you know that feeling? Have you had that where you spent a little time, rolled up your sleeves a little bit and studied some? I know I ask you to do that with me a lot. Have you ever had that experience where that, that scratch and itch I had, that, that filled me up, that gave me something that I needed? That's what the promise is here. That's what he does. Well, what else does he do? What, what else does the shepherd do? He feeds he and waters the sheep. He guides me in the paths of righteousness he for feeds, his namesake. He feeds and then he leads. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Is everybody walking with the shepherd now? He made me lie down in the pasture and he led me beside quiet water to get a good drink. And now he's guiding me in what, Nathan? What's he guiding me in? His name. In the paths of righteousness. Of righteousness. Okay, so does the Lord ever lead me down the paths of unrighteousness? No, no, because he leads me in the paths of righteousness. Do, Nathan, do you always want to follow him where he wants to lead you? No. You don't always want to, but we should, right? Because here's the promise. Follow him where he'll take you. It'll be the paths of righteousness. But I've got my dreams and plans. What's better, my dreams and plans or his paths of righteousness? His paths yeah, of righteousness. Yeah, that's better. Now, Nathan, let's talk some heavy theology. Why does the Lord lead me and you in the paths of righteousness? Why does he do it? Do you know why he does it? Can you say absolutely and bet your life that you know why he does it? Because I think you can put your finger in the Bible, like uh, in Psalm 23, verse 3, and find out why he leads you. Why does he do it? Because he loves us and he doesn't want us to go to Lake of Fire. Well, yeah, he doesn't want to go to the, the, the ultimate consequence of the paths of unrighteousness for sure. But um, why in the verse does he lead me in the paths of righteousness? Why does he do it? For his name's sake. For his name's sake, that's right. And this is the part I was talking to you about before, and I don't know if you caught this. We use a big word. Uh, let me count the syllables. Significance. I can, I can reduce that. Importance. Three syllables. I'm not good enough to bring it down to, to less. Do you know the word important? Okay. What makes me important? What makes me important? I don't mean my view of myself, of my self-importance. I mean in reality, the absolute value of my own importance. What is the true God-given assessment? Well, it turns out there's a great value that he's placed on all of us, but it isn't because it's just about us. Now watch this. This is so good. If everybody who doesn't believe what God is saying here is true, if they're right, that God isn't there and he doesn't have us, then uh, what is our hope? What happens to us if God isn't there? We go to the lake of fire. Well, what if there's no lake of fire? What if it's just all not true? We just stay here forever. We just, we just live a little while and then we die? And did it matter? No. Now, where in the Bible do you hear about how little it matters under the sun? If you live and die, where does the Bible talk about that? Anybody know where that is? Ecclesiastes is the book of you better get beyond the sun or your life has no meaning. Vanity, vanity, emptiness, emptiness, everything's emptiness. My, my roommate, one of my best friends ever would, uh, would say this right before a physics exam at, at West Point. Vanity, vanity, everything's vanity. All right. I got a good night's sleep anyway. I'm going to go take this exam. He already beat me by three points on the exam or whatever. I studied all night, and he, he, got, he got sleep, and he knew better. He, see, he maintained the equipment, and I tried to load it with data. Um, so, uh, no, the, the, the point of our significance can't be about us because we're, we're temporal. We're vapor. We are here for a minute. We're like grass, and we've withered away. And, there's, there's, and boy, does time fly. 
Young people, you can't imagine. You're looking at your life. Your whole life is in front of you. You're going to live to be probably 40 or maybe longer. That's so old. You're going to probably live to be older than 40 years old. And you just can't imagine. You think the whole thing's in front of you. And cut two, you blink your eyes as you've heard us all say. And it's, well, here we are. 40 was a long time ago. And, and that's how it is. And, that's, and life is short. And, you know, Solomon teaches us that if we build a house, if we build a city, if we build a castle, build a city, if you, take over, if you build a country, if you take over the world, if you have a monument that everybody on earth right now looks at you and says, you're the most famous person in the world, what's the value of that? What value does it have? Nothing. Why not? Because it's not going to last. Because it, it, it's temporary. temporary. It doesn't last. It goes away like the chaff of the field, like, like a beautiful flower is beautiful for the moment, and then it's gone. And, and that means that our life is nothingness. And Carl Sagan said this, that our, our, the truth of our despair, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but it has to be that, that, that our lives are part of this cons- consecutive succession of life and death on this little orb that's going to be burned in an eternal death of the universe. I mean, there's no hope to anything because there's no significance. And um, what, what Psalm 23 does, he saves us. It's this little shepherd psalm, and we say it as little kids. But he leads me in the paths of righteousness, not for my sake, not because how great I art, not because I, my little 80 years or whatever is going to be of anything, but for, why does he lead me, Paz? For his name's sake. For his name's sake. Which means that now it's not about me. My life isn't about me and the, the just dead in just a couple decades. My life is about him and his eternal plan, his eternal. He gives eternity to us. He, he gives us eternal importance or significance because he, the eternal one, has an opinion and he is including us in his work. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. You should devote some time to that verse. Think about that, that he leads me in the paths of righteousness. Now, Nathan, if he's leading me in the paths of righteousness, is that always going to go well? No. What do you mean? Why not? Because, like, if we um, I talk, like if we're talking about God in public, we might get, like people might hurt us because they don't like Jesus. They don't believe he's real. Yeah, so you might be, uh, as, as Jesus says in Matthew 5, they may say bad things about you. They may revile you, the Bible calls it. They may make fun of you, say all kinds of horrible things about you for Jesus' sake, he says. Or worse, some of our greatest exemplars and our greatest indeed is Jesus. They killed him for this mission that we're on. And they killed Peter, and they killed James, and they killed Paul. And we're going to suffer, okay? But that doesn't mean we're on the wrong path. In fact, verse 4, it's very interesting. It captures our imagination, verse 4. Do you know what verse 4 says? What does it say, Nathan? Nope. Yeah, verse 4. Go ahead. Even though... Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. You are in your staff, they comfort me. All right, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Do you remember what that is in Hebrew? The shadow of death, Saul Mavit. Gay Saul Mavit. That's Saul Mavit. Huh? I didn't tell you. Oh, I'll tell you. I just told you. (laughs) Saul Mavit, the, the shadow of death, even though I walk. Now, can someone tell me why this little sheep finds himself in the valley of the shadow of death? What are you doing there, little sheep? Do you know? Oh, you know. Go ahead. 
because we follow Jesus and sometimes it doesn't go well, so we're in the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> yeah, the reason in context that you're walking in the valley of the shadow of death is because he leads you in the paths of righteousness. They take you right through it. How do I know that he's with me uh, or that this is his plan for me? I just gave it away for you're with me. This isn't me out of fellowship with him. This is me walking right down the paths of righteousness into the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus said that a servant is not greater than his master. They hated me. They'll hate you too. And that's the nature of the war that we're in. And the, our response to this, by the way, is compassion. It's love. It is desire for God's best for them, even though Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Hold, don't hold the sin against them, says Stephen, as they're stoning him to death. Now, what's the big change in verse 4? Do you remember, Nathan, the big change? No. <laughs> okay. Let me give you a hint. Um, he restored my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I fear no evil for you are oh, with yeah, me. Because um, he says that in... Verse 3, that um, he's, he's not talking directly to God. He's just saying that... Um, he's talking about he, him. Yeah, he's talking about him. But now... And this one, he says, um, you are with me. So he's talking, he's talking to directly him. to God. Directly to him. The Bible does this through the Psalms. I'll be talking about God. And I'll be talking about God. And all of a sudden, I'm talking to God. And that's what happens here in verse 4. I'm not going to be afraid because you're with me right at the moment of the valley of the shadow of death, right as it gets darkest and I'm most afraid. I need courage and I won't be afraid of any evil. By the way, evil here means things happening to us that we don't like, bad things. It doesn't mean necessarily what we call moral evil. Some person is attacking me, but it could in context, maybe it does, but it could mean anything. I will fear no evil for you're with me. The reason I'm not afraid is the personal care of my God. Now, David is a successful man in the things of God because he knows this, because he believes this. Now, Nathan, do you believe this? Do you believe that the Lord is with you? Yes. It's going to have to be a consistent faith. You're going to have to trust in this all your life, every step of the way. And this is what I was saying before. Psalm 23 will meet you wherever your problem is. And when you're not thinking the way David is, that the Lord is with you, if you're not thinking the way David is thinking, what? You need to repent. You have to get back there to what he's thinking, to how David's thinking. All right. I'll fear no evil for you're with me. Now, what is so great about his presence? Keep going. What does he say here? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, who has spent a whole lot of time pondering rods? And staffs, or in Hebrew, radim and staffim. I'm just kidding. It's not, that's not the same word. But who's, who spent a lot of time figuring out what a rod and staff? Anybody have any idea about this? <laughs> Proverbs 3 just raises his hand. Um, uh, so what's the deal with the, what is a rod? What's, do you know what a rod? Oh, you know, I'm sorry. It, um, a rod, um, it, he uses um, it. What's it like, first of all? Describe it. It's like a big wooden stick with like... Um, About uh, that big? Yeah. So not that, it's not really big. Yeah, it's right. like this big. Okay, and um, how big around is it? 
this, it's little. It's it's big. pretty narrow, right? It's like a like a dowel rod. That's a rod means a small, uh, like a switch, right? Okay. So what's the switch for? What's um, the rod to get the sheep back on the path. Get them back on the path. That's good. What do we call that? The the rod is for correction. Correction. That's right. The rod is for correction. Did you ever think that when you get a correction, it's comforting? No. No, sir. <laughs> you never thought there was correction, comfort and correction? Now, here's the thought. You have to think about it. But if I don't, if I'm doing the wrong thing and somebody doesn't bring me back, as God will do as your shepherd, if he doesn't bring me back, then I'm going to go in the wrong thing and I'm going to be away from him. Hmm? We'll run off a cliff. That's right. So the rod is for correction. Now, what about the staff? I believe the staff is not for us. I think the staff is, is on our behalf. What, what do you think the staff is? It, Describe um, it. The staff has like, it's, it has a hook at the end. It might. It's, it, it's definitely big enough to be an adult's walking stick, right? Yeah, and it's like, um, uh, like it protects us from... Wolves and bears and yeah, this is your stick bears. that you'd use to defend against something that's outside the flock that's going to attack. This is like the, when, it, when David says to King Saul, I got the lion by his beard and I struck him. He doesn't say with what. I mean, it may be that he, that he did a Mike Tyson and just, you know, power punch. I, I think he had something in his hand. And I think it was either a sling with a with loaded sling, so he was used as a club, or as his staff, like a shepherd's club. But the point is that I believe that the rod is for... Correction. But the staff is for... Uh, rhymes protection. With protection. The rod is for correction. The staff is for protection. And both of these are a comfort to us. We don't know what's best for us, but God does. And we don't know what trouble we might get ourselves into, but God is going to protect us when we walk with him. And so these are our great comfort to us. And that's the end of being a sheep in Psalm 23. Do you know where you go next? Psalm 23 kind of tells you two different stories by metaphor. Do you, do you know where you go next? You go out of the sheepfold and you, you, you take off your wool and you become a what? A real boy. You become a real human being. And now it's not shepherd and sheep. What is it? It's, oh. Remember we said it's the king's banquet hall and you're his king's honored subject? Hall. Yeah. So now you've got your, your king and his honored guest. You're his honored guest. So what does it say in verse 5? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup oh, runneth over. Overflow. So just in a few lines, David is describing a totally different scene where God is portrayed not as the self-sacrificial shepherd who is protecting the sheep and providing for them and leading them, but as the wealthy, elaborate, lavishing banquet host who is hosting a banquet in your honor. He says, you prepared a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Those people who want to see me suffer are going to see me exalted and promoted. This, it's, it's one thing to be promoted. It's another thing to be promoted where those that grind their teeth about it have to watch. And so it's, it's an amazing thought that David can't say in a greater way that God is standing by to bless you, to promote you, to exalt you. 
in his purposes because it's not about us. It's about him and it glorifies him to do it. So you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now what's going on here with this line? Read that one again. You have anointed my head with oil. You anointed my, what is that about? Um, he's promoting me. He's promoting me, that's right. There are a couple of things that happen. Anointing could be in a special sense where you're designating the king or a priest, someone who's specially marked out with the portrayal of the Holy Spirit in oil. That's what the king would be anointed with or the, or the, uh, or the priest. Uh, it's a portrayal of God's work on this person that they're specially designated for this role. That could be what he means. And David was anointed in Psalms, uh, 1 Samuel 16 to be the next king after Saul. It also could be that you provide refreshment for someone who is coming into your house. It's a sign of hospitality and honor. And Jesus says, you didn't even give me oil when I came into your home to one of the Pharisees. But um, the point is that uh, he has goodness for you, has blessing for you, and he wants to bless you. And David is not only, as he started off, not lacking anything, he's now promoted and honored and exalted in this lavish banquet. And then what's this other thing? What does that mean? My cup over. My overflow? cup overflows. What does that mean? It means he gives me things I don't need. <laughs> That's a good thought. He gives me things I don't need. There's more. There's, there's an abundance. There's excess. Hey, somebody get another cup because my cup's overflowing. That's kind of the idea. And, and so God is portrayed here quite the opposite of Genesis chapter 3 where Satan says he's holding back. No, when you're with him, when you're walking with him, he is getting to do what he wants to do with you. Some of you are going to host a lavish feast for your families tomorrow. You're working on it now, uh, and you're happy for the break, and you're about to get back to it, uh, like me, when you get um, done here. And um, did I what? Did I cook the turkey? No, that's, that's past tense. This, we're looking for future tense. I'm going to cook the turkey. Oh, yeah, it's coming for sure. Yeah, it's not, we're not, it's not lunch yet. So, so what I'm saying is, and what, what, <laughs> the tomorrow lunch, buddy. What we're saying is that, uh, you've been a real trooper tonight. What we're saying is that it, it's, it's a delight. If you've ever hosted someone and blessed them with a meal that you made, if you've ever done something for someone and really given it all, you know the feeling of the privilege of doing that for someone. You know how it feels to bless someone, and you know a little bit about what it's like for God to bless you as he wants to. He's standing by with these blessings for his children. Bring us home, Nathan. What does he, how does he conclude in verse 6? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy, and I'll bring out one thing, I thought about this, will follow me. The word here, follow, can mean to chase after, like a, a hunter after his game, uh, or or as uh, a, a, like a, a person in pursuit of a criminal or something, chasing them. Um, this, is a, this is a defensive end after, a, after that guy running the ball. Um, the, the, the running back, he's trying to, he's trying to get him. And, um, and it's, it's pursuit. Not just gradually follow, but with a mission. This person is after. And, and that's what's going on here, that these things, goodness and mercy or loving kindness will follow me. They're chasing me down. And the promise, the expectation is that this lavish banquet hall that's being portrayed, this sheepfold where I'm protected and provided for, it's mine forever. There is no way for Nathan Roseland or for David Roseland to outgrow Psalm 23. From the youngest of us to the oldest of us, this message is eternal. 
It is God's love and blessing for us. And it only takes on greater and greater three-dimensional reality to us as we see Jesus, our great shepherd, dying for our sins. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. As we see him, not just as God, but as God in the flesh of man, who would be, as Peter says, Jesus, our great shepherd. And so there's a lot we could say about this. Did you have a question? Did I see a question over there? No? Okay. Okay, yes, ma'am. The, 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 the doctrine of the scriptures on the shepherd is one of my favorite topics, and I've been studying it all my life. Anybody know how to say shepherd in Greek? What's that? No, that's Latin. You're, you're ahead of me. Greek is poimen. Anybody know how to say shepherd in, in uh, Hebrew? Really? Roe. We had that before. Roe. <laughs> Did you remember Roe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. So, um, yes. so we know that shepherd is poimen in Greek and Roe in, in Hebrew, but what is it in Latin? It's pastor. If you look up the word poimeno or poimen, the words for, she- for pastor in the New Testament, the main focus on that doctrine is not the pastor in your church. It's the, the senior pastor over every Bible-believing church. It's the Lord Jesus Christ as our shepherd. Nathan, let's uh, close in prayer. You can begin with Thanksgiving, and I'll close us with, uh, with our request. Yeah, turn her on. No, turn her on, and, and all right. To Heavenly Father, thank you that we can come and learn about you, and thank you that I could come and help my dad teach tonight, and for the rest of the lesson to go well, and for me to be, to be able to do this again soon. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Father, we thank you for the goodness of your provision for us and the ability of this young man to be able to think through these things for this entire time, to focus and stand and, and do the hard thing that is very challenging for young people. Father, we're little kids in your sight, and um, we thank you for these words that give us great encouragement. Remind us as the days go forward, Father, that we will fear no evil for you're with us, that you're providing, you're correcting us, you're protecting us, and that you're interested in our choices. You're guiding us in these paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Father, let us enjoy it. Teach us to have an appetite for your righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. amen.